Welcome to episode 151 of the GSD Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Jules and Statoya. Running a successful business never comes without its challenges, but it also includes a lot of highs. In this GSD Entrepreneur Podcast, we explore both. We dive into what it looks like when the entrepreneurs are committed to getting done. These are people who are pursuing their dreams, so we dig deep to understand how they are doing it. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. I'm going to start out by saying this conversation felt like we were on sacred ground, and I think you'll know what I mean as you listen. Our guest, Sandra Killian, is a very special human. She has both accomplished a lot and has been through deep pain in her short time on this planet. She has the unique ability to set her sights on something and watch it manifest itself. It's almost as if she sees her future unfolding and then isn't afraid to do the hard work to get there. Sandra grew up in Charleston, then left and went to the Maine Maritime Academy, where she was in the United States Merchant Marines for 10 years. She sailed as captain on a 300-foot ship for an emergency response company until she was six months pregnant with her son, Sullivan, a.k.a. Sully, and then went through gut-wrenching loss and grief. To continue her healing process, she traveled for a couple months in Europe, alone with her then one-year-old little Sully, and then came back home and started her own business, Skip and Sully. This is a brilliant concept of a marriage between a Montessori-style indoor playground and a parents club. What an absolute privilege to hear her story. We hope you enjoy our conversation. GSD Entrepreneur listeners, thank you for hitting play on us today. We are really excited to spend the next 45 or so minutes with you, aren't we, Joya? Absolutely. Yes. We always look forward to this. We, we actually do really look forward to this. So I'm Jules, I'm your host, and I've got the always lovely Satoya on the mic with me today. And we have a really incredible guest, I think, that, mm-hmm. um, that we're all going to enjoy. Her presence is light. And I think she has a story that's going to be really interesting for all of us to hear. So, Sandra Killian, welcome to the mic. Hello. Yeah, <laughs> welcome to GSD Entrepreneur. And how did we meet Sandra? Deja Knight. The one and, and only. only Deja Knight. And her, and her fabulous assistant, Will. Will. Um, yes. Yeah, um, they're just good connectors for us. And, and Deja owns PR, uh, Pearl PR here in Charleston, South Carolina, and was one of our clients, and we coached her for a, about a year and then hired her. I mean, she's great. So, uh, and I think you just hired her as well. Yeah. So, uh, and I think that says something. Too. Like, yeah. if you like know people's ins and outs of their business mm-hmm. as their coach and consultant, and then you turn around a year later and hire them, like, kind of says something about how respected you they are to you. Mm-hmm. So, Deja, we do love you and think the world of you. So, thanks for all you're doing in Charleston, and thanks for this introduction to Sandra. So, Sandra, this is how we do this podcast. So, we basically ask you to take us back. So, you own Skip and Sully, which is great. We want to hear all about that. But what we want to do is we firmly believe that an entrepreneur has a bigger story than just the business that they run. It is a part of it, but it's not the only, it's not the whole of it. So, what we ask the entrepreneurs to do that get on this show with us is to take us back. So, where did you grow up? What was the journey that you walked or that was handed to you uh, to get to where you are now and the business that you're running. And then we'll get into like hardships of the business and challenges, but also like really things that you love about it. We'll get into all that as we go later. But if you would just kind of introduce yourself and take us back. Sound good? Okay. All right. <laughs> well, um, I am a totally different person today than I was, than I have projected for my entire life. I was, I'm born and raised in Charleston from Mount Pleasant specifically. I'm one of the originals. Not many of you out out there. We were just in Savannah this past weekend and someone goes, there's not many originals. And I was like, yeah, but they're they're showing back up. Yes. We make our little appearances every once in a while. Um, But my whole family's from this area. I went to Wanda right up the road. So Mm. Um, I wanted to work on boats. That was going to be my career forever. Like, your fa- did your family have boats? Um, well, my maiden name is Skipper. Oh, well. So, <laughs> it was already predestined, and most of the men in my family have worked on boats for generations. So, 
Um, I actually worked on the deep sea fishing vessel that used to be here at Shim Creek. It was called the Thunderstar. Huh. I left a couple of years ago because of fuel prices, but it was my first boat job. I was, I think, 15 years old. I was like, let me figure out if this is really what I want to do. I loved it, but I would never, ever go back to fishing boats ever again. Wow. It's, <laughs> it's so hard. It's wait, so hard like, you're talking about like from like three years old or like it was like in grade school like what was your fascination I mean obviously skipper I mean that that you kind of <laughs> that is kind of you know a part of you but what what was your fascination with them and how how far back can you remember wanting to do that so I wanted to be a mermaid I wanted to be a mermaid um, and the closest I could get to being a mermaid in a real life adult career was to work on boats <laughs> okay that is great Yes. <laughs> that is fantastic. And um and so and obviously your parents were like, Yes, mm-hmm. do it. Yes. Um I so there's many different routes you can mm-hmm. take, but I went to the Merchant Marine Academy and got a bachelor's, went to the whole college route and everything in vessel operations and technology. And it's kind of like a hybrid between like boat engineering, like working on the engines, the diesel engines and stuff, and then also navigation and driving. Because I wanted to do the work boats. So Mm -hmm. just to give you an idea, I was more like tugboats, the ones that you see in the harbor that are moving the Mm -hmm. big ships Mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. That was my world. That's what I loved. That's what I, I did tugboats for four or five years, and then I switched over to emergency response and did some awesome stuff in the Caribbean. Um, I worked for this company that did oil spills and fire response. And Wow. Um, were, you drive, were you driving the boats, or you, mm-hmm. you were like worker, worker on the boats? I was driving. I was so you're the captain. chief mate. I sailed as master captain for three years, and that was, I actually sailed until I was, as captain, until I was six months pregnant with my son. <laughs> I mean, listeners, you cannot see her. <laughs> but she, she is captain absolutely <laughs> beautiful and just fair skin, beautiful, like red lipstick, beautiful dark black hair or dark, yeah. dark brown hair. Not your typical, nope, not your typical no. merchant marine. Um, you definitely or... up the level of like, good looking <laughs> on those boats for sure. <laughs> so you, wow. So you did, so what was in the Caribbean? I mean, you, you did emergency response? I did emergency Caribbean? response. So we were stationed out of Miami and we were on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week for disasters. So particularly oil spills, um, ship groundings, um, oil wells, things going wrong, stuff like that. Deepwater Horizon, mm-hmm. that was a big one uh, for us. Uh, but also humanitarian aid when hurricanes come through yeah. the islands. They we had a hospital on board. We had birthing for so industrial workers, boat. things like that. We just we had an incident command, so you'd have all your comms. We had a helicopter pad, so we were really just like a command center that could. It was a multi-purpose vessel. Wait, and you captained that boat? How big was that boat? <laughs> Three. Well, this one is kind of smaller comparatively, but it was three hundred feet. <laughs> oh my gosh, my respect level for you just went out the roof. Oh, I would have never thought that when you walked in our house. <laughs> Holy I love shit. it. I, I do too. That, okay. You have just broken all the barriers. <laughs> wow, that glass ceiling. <laughs> gone. That is really cool. Okay, so you did that. We'll, we'll stop admiring. I know. I'm still, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'm probably going to admire fun. you the rest of the time. <laughs> oh, I loved it. For me, my work has been a passion, a love, and a joy, and even in, like, the hard work when we're up, we've been up for 48 hours dealing with something crazy, it's, like, two in the morning, and it's, I loved every aspect of it. Mm -hmm. It was who I was and what I did, but Mm -hmm. it was never work for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what was one of, um, what's a disaster that you went to, um, that will always, like, stand out um, as something that people just don't know the magnitude of what had happened. Um, so some of that stuff, I can't oh, no, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, there's so we do a lot us. of government work. Yeah. Um, wow. So the way everything is structured, we're, the company I work for was a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And so it's basically dictated based upon Exxon Valdez that happens when the Valdez grounded in their in um, Alaska mm-hmm. and spilt all that oil everywhere. Right. So at that point, the government said, hey, you need to have an emergency plan. 
All, all the oil companies have to have an emergency plan because this is a horrible disaster, obviously. Everybody not, might not remember it, but has heard about it. And so then my company was founded, and there are 13, I think they added a 14th one since. I've been out of the game for a couple years now, but um, strategically placed all over the U.S., just secretly waiting there mm. <laughs> um, to help at any oh. time. So, And even like Hurricane Joaquin that mm -hmm. came through a couple years ago, that one was... I, we were on standby to be called for that one, mm -hmm. and that's when the El Faro ship sank. Oh. I don't know if you remember that. The whole crew was lost. The ship was lost. Yeah, everything. Right. It was all American merchant seamen, and Jeez. two of my classmates were on that ship. No way. And we were on standby because we were right there, but they could never find the ship, so there was no oil or people to help. So it, that one, I remember sitting the. That was my first brush with How death, and it was just so close. They, eventually, there, they did okay. end up finding it, but it took, I don't remember how long, but it was weeks and weeks. Isn't there, like, sonar, sonar, that, sonar that would, like... But hurricanes pick things up and rip it apart and oh. spread it out everywhere. So parts were found, like, miles apart. So that, that boat was in the middle of the hurricane? Mm -hmm. Or, like, oh, okay. So they got stuck in the oh. middle. Mm. There was a whole series of events, Jeez. and the hurricane actually had started to leave, so they went behind it, and it turned okay. around and came back, mm. which hurricanes typically don't do because right, right. they follow the warm water, and that's Jeez. usually up the Gulf Stream. So they teach us a lot of weather routing, and we get weather faxes onto the ship, mm. and so you do the best you can with the information that you're given. Yeah. And it was just a series of bad events that happened for yeah. the ship. But that like rocked the entire industry. Jeez, okay. Especially because it's so close to home. Almost everybody knew somebody mm. through somebody on that uh -huh. ship. So yes. you did this until you were six. So you were married. You got mm -hmm. married. Was he also um, he was. a captain? He was a merchant marine. marine. He was a chief mate who carried jet fuel to the different... Um, bases, the Navy bases and mm. Air Force bases. Um, and so we kind of, our schedules were a little weird, but we were always kind of, I guess, long distance, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but we made it work. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you got pregnant. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you at least made it work once. Yes, yes, yes. Well, he actually had a more regular schedule, too, because he was month on, month off. Mm -hmm. There was a period of time where I was working for a tugboat company that I was week on, week off. So mm. we saw each other every other week, every other month. And it was like, this is not working. Oh, no, that wouldn't work. Some changes. Yeah. <laughs> it's not enough. As I met him a two weeks after my 18th birthday at the academy. Mm. And oh, so you okay, went to the like, academy together. Went to the academy together. Okay. That's yeah. when we met. His name? Yeah. Scott. Scott. Okay. Mm. Um, so, okay, so you, you're doing this. Well, I, I one more one more question about it, and maybe you can share this, maybe you can't, because it may be confidential. But was there, or no, when was the moment that you knew this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in the marina world, or in the whatever you call it, the boating or ship world, whatever, as a captain? Was there a moment where you were like, this is the pinnacle of why I'm doing what I'm doing? That's a very good question, and the the moment that comes to mind was actually on that fishing boat when I was sixteen. Hmm. I remember, and then there's a later event; it kind of connects. But I was fifteen or sixteen, and I was looking out at the water, and I saw we the shelf out here is like fifty miles offshore, so it takes a long time to get out there to fish, and so um, I saw off in the distance a tanker and then a tug and barge. And I said, one day, I will captain one of those boats. You remember saying that? I remember it. I, I see it in my in my memory. Yeah. I remember sitting. I was I was a snack bar girl at the beginning. I ran the snack bar. <laughs> um, before oh, they would let me go come? out on deck, where I was allowed to touch anything. Um, and I remember wow. sitting on top of the refrigerator, because it was one of those that are behind the bars. Mm -hmm. and you slide open like that. And I was sitting here and looking out the window mm. and I see it I see that tug and barge right now mm. I see it wow and exact almost exactly 10 years later I got my captain's license and well I guess no it was eight years because I got it when I, I was the, the the youngest female ship captain 
right. the fleet because I was 24. Well, and how many other women? It, it's oh, a man's it's, industry, right? We're still at like 3%. 3%, yeah, yeah. I think. So yeah. did you have a boat so growing young. up to know how to even drive a boat? I mean, because navigating Charleston waters, <laughs> we had a boat. That's not easy because of the currents and mm -hmm. especially docking, right. which I've never done. Because um, I'm not going to dock a boat until I get one of those blow-up boats. That if I hit anything, <laughs> it's going to be fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, I mean, so, I mean, just navigating these waters. But you had to have, you had to get hours, right? Mm-hmm. So, you had never driven a boat. Mm-mm. <laughs> I've canoed before I went to the academy. <laughs> oh, my yeah. gosh. Wow, that, this is a crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah more more. So the, the academy is set up in a trimester. So you spend three semesters out on ships. Mm -hmm. And I came in because with sea time from working on deck from the fishing boat. So I came in to the academy with a oh, 200 okay. ton license shortly thereafter. So okay. that allowed me to work a mate's position at one of my jobs. So then I was able to get my captain's license sooner. So Thank I just you. like... Every advantage, opportunity that I could get, I took it. Mm. <laughs> like, bank yep. that time, get that experience, volunteer here, work there. I loved it, so yeah. I was happy to do it. Wow. <laughs> that is, yeah. Um, did you ever... Did you ever come under scrutiny because you were a woman in that industry? Or were you respected? For the most part, I was... I'm trying to think... I never really had a huge any huge incidents, and what's Good. interesting, I, so most of the crews that I worked with were like twenty and thirty years older than me, significantly mm -hmm. older. In fact, one of the tugboat crews I worked on, and they are they're like grand, grandpas to me. I still mm -hmm. am in touch with them. Mm -hmm. They that that captain was my original training captain during the academy, and has made a huge difference in my career, but they referred to us as the geriatric crew and that I offset the number. That <laughs> <laughs> but I think that I have just, I was so lucky with the group of people that I yeah. was placed with. And then they're going to they protect you. We're very protective yes. of me. Yes. I never worked with, interesting them, I never worked with other women until later on in my career. I hired one. Hmm. Um, and then I had a mate when I was captain and then I never worked with any young men either mm -hmm. my age. They were all at least 20 to 30 years older than me. Wow. Mm -hmm. Do women captain differently than men? Um, Do you, is I there... think so, yeah. but I've never worked for one. Okay. So what I, what I have observed for myself and then mm -hmm. the captains I've worked under is I emphasize communication mm -hmm. and I bore I do borderline in over communication mm -hmm. but what I've seen is that the male captains I've worked with have been more dominant yeah in their leadership and instead of explaining okay this is the goal this is why we're doing this stuff hmm. they still are staying with that militaristic mindset that we do need to have in certain mm -hmm. situations on right. ships you know For like, sure. absolutely but they say oh do this the end mm -hmm. and that doesn't foster a good working environment mm -hmm. that doesn't make people want to do more for you that doesn't make them yeah. want to right. take initiative and that's the thing that I wanted to change when I took over mm -hmm. and I did have some very good captains that I worked under but for the ones that I had some issues with that was typically it yeah and I don't believe that that's a gender thing mm -hmm. I just think I just that was my snapshot style. yep mm -hmm. so the last question and then we can move on to what's present or the path to present um but would you ever do deadliest catch so i would never <laughs> never um the fishing boat that i worked on was kind of like that just very rough dirty mm -hmm. nasty smelly like you get good experience but it is not a fun yeah. living environment like a shrimp and boat or like Something. a shrimp boat. Yeah. I do not, I have a steadfast rule, I do not work in places on boats where it can possibly snow. Okay. Mm. I don't do it. Mm. I got offered a captain's job up in Alaska, and I said, I cannot do it. Oh. I cannot. Oh, they paid low. Well. They do. The, mm -hmm. and yeah, the Bering They Street. can't get anybody. Yeah, exactly. Oof. Carrying like, containers up there and stuff. I'm like, I cannot do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Because you're going through ice when you're up there. and there's, right? no, there's ice, but I just don't like the cold and the wind. Okay. And it's just not a good working environment. No, no. You're, you're a little person. You're a Charleston girl. Yeah. Charleston girl. Remember that time I, I we captured the boat down? Right. No, tell me about it. I don't remember that at all. I'm just traumatized by it. So we were asked, if, if this is, you know, just a little side note, that we're, we, we were this asked will be a captain. joke. This will be a joke to someone. <laughs> That's why I'm telling it. It's a yeah. big joke. So we were asked to help captain a 90-foot yacht, I guess, down from New York to Fort Lauderdale. And um, so it was Jules and I. And we have a whole podcast episode yeah. about the lessons we learned while we were doing this. Yeah, you yeah, probably appreciate it. And two older men, the owner of the boat and mm-hmm. then uh, um, another a gentleman. So it was just the four of us. It's going to be a 10-day cruise. In their 70s. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we're, you know, I, I, I pretty much cooked all the food. Um, and But we captained during the day, and they took the night shift mm-hmm. because we had never driven a boat at night. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were in 15-foot seas the whole time. Uh, it was absolutely <laughs> horrible. She's like, that's child. I know. But, but we in were... a 90-foot boat, I know, is not fun. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it it exhausts your body. Oh, exactly. yeah, because you're, you're literally... Thank you. Thank you for understanding. Yeah, thank I you. Understand. I mean, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sitting there eating ginger cheese, trying not to... I mean, <laughs> oh. have my patches Seat on. Seat hands, we've got it all. Trying to cook dinner or lunch or breakfast for everybody on the boat, but... Um, mm. Was but it anyway. a sailboat or no. a motorboat? No, it was a. It had a motor. Okay, we'll yeah. show it to you. It was like an old, like naval vessel. Naval vessel. It was actually really cool. Oh. It was all steel, so it was a really heavy boat. Mm-hmm. So they're like, we. I mean, you can. We will not tip over, no matter what the seas are. And we're like, yeah, that's what Titanic said. Too. <laughs> Hello, they were a lot bigger than we were. <laughs> anyway, all right. So, so yeah, is that story? yeah, that's okay. good. So that's so, our, that's, that's that story. So we we just have a mutual connection. We're, we can't. We do. We, yeah, we, try, we try to find things to connect on. Um, my dad dispatched tugboats. Mm-hmm. So he's, and I would ride all the time on tugboats. And it was, it's such a part of my childhood. Uh, like all, every 4th of July, we'd go see fireworks on tugboats. Mm-hmm. And so um, there is something very, very special about people who work on tugboats. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there is a community there that I experienced even as a younger girl. Mm-hmm. Um, that I mean, they they will protect you to the mm-hmm. to their dying day, you know, which is really really cool. So I can see how it is a man's world, but it's a really um, it can be a very kind man's world, mm-hmm. which is which I'm thankful that that was your experience. So that's awesome. So tell us, okay, so what happened after that? So. You were captaining, captaining until you were six months pregnant. Yes. And then what? Um, my husband and I moved back home here because we were down in Miami still at the time. Um, I was looking at making a career change-ish. Um, I had applied for the Charleston Harbor Pilots because mm-hmm. that's like the apex of your career. Yeah, right? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't I, that like typically you only get in if you're a family or like connected or isn't it like. So there is still that stigma, I guess. Okay. And I don't know uh, how much of it is still true because of what happened with me because I, like, I, <laughs> I was the goofiest thing, I think, because I was super pregnant. I was like eight months. I was huge because Sullivan was almost 10 pounds when he was born. So. It's just a huge belly, and I'm going in with my little blazer that won't button to my <laughs> to my interview with the with the board, and everything went well, and I got called back. I was one of the top finalists. Wow. Um, that kind of progression, because um, my interview was a month after my son was born, hmm. and <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Look. We we hold really sacred space for tears, so Ooh. it's okay. Um, and my husband passed away um, like two weeks after my son was born. And then I had my interview for that job two Ooh. weeks after that. And coming from the industry that I I was in, I'm an expert compartmentalizer. Like that is mm. a super skilled borderline yeah. psychotic. I think or psychopath, whichever one it is, because I can, like, I, they all knew. Yeah. Because they knew me. They knew him. He came into the Charleston Port all the time. They knew. When the, the Merchant Mariner community is so small that when mm. they when one is gone, like, everybody knows. Wow. And they knew. I knew. But you never would have known <laughs> during the interview. Because um, you held it all because together. Because I 
I do think that was like borderline crazy. I don't know. I just, I was in super denial. My brain was so wait a second. like crazy. Let me, so. let me just get the timeline. So you, yeah. you had your, had Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, your husband, Scott dies. Scott dies mm-hmm. suddenly. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then when do you go in for the interview? Two weeks after that. It was like, so t- holy moly. Mm-hmm. And, and in fact, I remember their port captain calling me because he's a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, if you need time, if you want to reschedule, like we understand. I'm like, no, no. Wow. Because you had to keep going. Yeah. Well, I have this little boy I have to provide for. This is the only way I know how to do it. You know, like I had to, it didn't know, like there was, Scott's not coming back. Mm. And you felt the weight of that. I had to do something. Mm -hmm. I would have regretted if I didn't go to the interview. I would have regretted it. And because that, that was my dream. That's what I saw my future until they forced me to retire at like 71, whatever the age out is. Mm. Like that was who I was. I had been working on my career to build myself up to that point. I had achieved all the things that you're supposed to achieve at a very early age. And I was ready for that. Mm. And I didn't get it. But I also think that it was in part like how can a single mom like all of a sudden deal with this schedule mm, and I definitely. still I sit with that a little bit sometimes because like they were right they were right and wasn't their decision to make hmm. um, but they were right and not that anybody looked me in the eye and said that, but I felt it. Mm-hmm. I felt yeah, it. your yeah. intuition. Yep. Yeah. So and so that's okay. Yeah. You know. Mm. <laughs> but see, that's something that you know you you grieve people, but you grieve your identity. Absolutely. And you, and you grieve your the loss of your dream. Mm. Grief doesn't just have to have a face. So you had a in two weeks you had bam bam. It was like loss yeah. of your love and loss of your other love. Wow. So can you, um, it's to me, Jeez. because we're God loving women here, and you have a, you have a, your water bottle that said God is your anchor. Um, to me, it's almost serendipitous that you came home. Like God knew something you needed to be home um, to have your son. Is it, is he named after Sullivan's Island? He is not. So, but you know, but it's close enough. <laughs> it's close enough. Um, Everybody always asks me um, that. <laughs> that God knew there was something going to happen, mm-hmm. and and um, but you needed to be close to your your roots. Can you talk about how Scott passed away? I know blisters yeah. probably want to know. Yeah. Um. So, the short of it is, we actually still don't know why he died. Um. It was a mystery to the coroner and the pathologist and everybody for months. Um, He passed away on October 15th, and I didn't even get a death certificate until February 14th, because that's awesome. Um, Goodness gracious. uh, But they kept going back and forth, because he was 29 years old. Young. And he was a runner. Like, he was very healthy. He was particular about his diet. He never so much as even got a cold. It was just ridiculous. Mm. And... They think he might have had athletic heart syndrome, Mm. um, which for people who don't know, it's basically the muscle of the heart grows stronger as you exercise it. And so runners and other cardiovascular sport people, their heart muscle, their heart itself gets a little bit bigger because the muscle grows, not because it stretches out. Mm. For most people, that's a good thing. But there's a portion of the population that it's not a good thing and it Basically, what the cardiologist told me is that his heart had a Charlie force, basically. Mm. Like, in, like to break it down in layman's terms, is that the the electrical pulse was being sent and the muscle wasn't responding. Mm. There was literally nothing that they could do. He could have dropped on the floor in the ER and they could have done nothing. And that brings me peace, mm-hmm. you know, to, to know that, even though we don't know exactly what it was. Mm. Because he died right next to me. Oh, jeez. Um, we, we sat down to watch that, the Spider-Man movie with the 
the young boy actor, where Spider-Man is like a teenager or something. Mm. I, I think there's been a couple that came out since then. We started watching that when I went into labor. <laughs> um, and so we sat down again two weeks later to finish the movie. <clears throat> and Sullivan was asleep, not like five feet away. He was like right there, just out of Martin's reach. And like 10 minutes into the movie, I there was a bowl of popcorn between us and he was sitting next to me. And I feel like him leaning into me, like pressure. And he was a goofball. So I thought that he was just like trying to be annoying. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Scott. And I look over at him. And his entire body was rigid. It was like the tonic phase of a seizure. Mm-hmm. Where all the muscles mm-hmm. contract. And his pupils were dilated. And he... His, he wasn't able to breathe. His lips started turning blue. And I went into emergency response mode. Like, I was a different person. Mm-hmm. I got 911 on the phone. I got him off the couch. I'm doing CPR. I'm checking on everything. I'm like, I am even... <laughs> and, and I kind of, like, laugh in a morbid way when I think back about the time because I was so detached that I was telling them the things I would tell the medical doctor on the ship. Hmm. Like if I had an emergency, we would call a hospital mm-hmm. and we would tell the doctor, like 29-year-old male, dilated, equally dilated you know pupils. Yeah. Like, yeah. And they're like, we don't need to know that. We just need to know where you are. And I'm like, right. <laughs> and like that's where I was at. Wow. And I even went so far as to say, okay, he probably has some undiscovered heart thing. He's going to have to be on medication. That's okay. He, we can make a career shift. You know, I'm going to do this pilot thing. You've thought we'll be through, fine. thinking through all that. five seconds, I had thought wow. through all of that. Mm. Oh, man. Wow. I just, this was just a hiccup that we were going to have to get through and it'd be fine. Yeah. Mm. There, I did not think that he was going to die. Like, what 29-year-old just drops it when they're perfectly fine? Yeah. Two minutes. No symptoms. No, no symptoms, yeah. not feeling bad, nothing. It. And I think that's what led to such a shock response in me for so long. Yeah. Because when somebody is there and then they're not, Mm. how can your brain reconcile Mm. that? It's... I remember the police took me in the other room when the paramedics came. And I remember the exact moment that I knew he was dead. I believe I saw the light leave his eyes. I saw his eyes close. And in that moment, looking back on it, I know that was it. But I sat on that couch and I looked across the room at the stove clock. And the time kept going by. Sullivan kept sleeping the whole time. And the time kept ticking by. And at 10.47 is the moment that I didn't accept, but knew we're not coming back from this. He had been, the brain can't survive without oxygen that long. We're not coming back from this. I see it I'm tearing up because I see it again. I, I see the blue couch and I see my dad sitting on the steps. And I see the police officer pacing back and forth. He didn't even think for a while. I, they said, what hospital do you guys want to go to? You know, um, why don't we go ahead and, you know, check, get all your information together and then you can get Sullivan's back and we'll go to the hospital and and they did work they worked on him for like 40 minutes wow which is twice as long as they normally do and what they're trained to they went above and beyond and that you know I know that I did what all I could do I know they did all they could do and it was just supposed to be this way Mm. 
and mm. that does bring me peace sometimes. And Sullivan, Sullivan stayed asleep the whole time. Stayed asleep the whole time. What's the significance of ten forty-seven? And was that just when you those clocked like stopped doing this? Almost it like was a digital clock, and it was like that time was imprinted on my mm, mind. Jeez. And your dad was there with you? My dad was there, and my mom had come. They live up in Jamestown now, mm. so I didn't even, like, I wasn't even going to call him because it wasn't a big deal. Like, we were just mm. going to go to the hospital, and the police was like, no, you probably should call your parents mm. just in case, you know. And I'm glad I did. Yeah. Mm. Where are his family? Where's his family? Um, they live up in upstate New York. Well, his mom. His mom. His dad passed away a couple of years before Scott did, mm. so. Uh, I keep trying to get her to move down here. <laughs> yeah. Well, if she's listening, come on down. You'll love Charleston. Mm. Um, so, mm. first of all, thank you for sharing mm. that. You didn't have to do that on this podcast episode, you know. I mean. I felt we, it. So it came out. Well, and that's, um, thank you for that, because that is. I just, I wrote and I have to just keep talking or I will literally break down and bawl my eyeballs out because your story is so powerful and deep and I feel it. Mm. But I just, I said this, um, oh, this episode is sacred ground. I mean, it's something really deep and personal that you have given us um, a view into. So thank you for that. Um, when we before we started out the episode, uh, you 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 talked a little bit about God, right? And you talked a little bit about um, well, I don't even want because you know what I'm talking about. So will you talk a little bit about that, like how you were entrusted with this story that feels sometimes mm -hmm. probably a lot of times too big to handle, right? But you're entrusted with that. So what do you do with that? Well, the way I look at everything now is that these these series of events, these things that have happened to me, God allowed them to happen for a reason in my life. And I've gotten to a point where I truly believe that I've been entrusted with this and it's been allowed because I'm strong enough to be vulnerable enough to share it. Mm -hmm. And my hope is to turn Scott's death into something beautiful. And with that is that vulnerability, it's that sharing of the story to inspire others. Mm -hmm. That's the part of the mission of my business. It is, it has infiltrated every part of my life and every decision that I, I make and everything that I do. Mm -hmm. Ooh. So, I, so I'm, a, I'm an observer, I just met you what, I don't even know, 40 minutes ago mm -hmm. for the very first time ever in my life. And I will say after spending less than an hour with you, you have a calling on your life that is unique to anybody else that I've ever met. Mm -hmm. I don't say that lightly. I mean, I really, there, there's something very, very special about you. You see something and it comes to fruition. So even something as happy and light as... I see that tug and that barge out there and I'm going to captain that someday. Like you have big visions that actually come true, right? And so this, what is so hard because it's, it's like this really awkward and hard thing when somebody loses someone that's dear to them or loses something that's dear to them. It's really easy for a lot of people to just say in whatever way, well, that was God's will and there's something better, right? Or because because as like people that try to enter in, we don't know the right words to say. So we sort of let ourselves, let ourselves off the hook by saying um, he's in a better place or whatever. And while all that's true, it's really shitty in the moment, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's it doesn't help at all. But you have this perspective, and I'm sure it's come over time, but you have this perspective where you see that God has cho chosen you to be able to handle this. Mm. And that, like, I don't want to miss that. Like, that is something that's so powerful that God has chosen you to give you something as deep and hard as the death of your husband who you were in love with, to lose him 
and know that if you're vulnerable with that, there's somebody who needs that message. Like, mm. I don't even, I mean, that's powerful. That is really powerful. And, whoo, I mean, that is incredible stuff. And the fact that you've received that as that mm -hmm. and haven't gotten angry or bitter or, I'm sure there are days where there's that, and that's okay. There's probably a lot of days where that's that. But, you know, we have so many friends who've gotten diagnosed with cancer, who have lost fathers who they are, who were their world. Or, you know, I mean, we have so many people who've lost things that have been really dear to them, and we've watched it go both ways. Anger and bitterness and God, why me? And your perspective where it's like, how have you chosen me to, to have this responsibility and in some crazy way, privilege. Mm -hmm. like, I, I'm in awe, honestly. I'm literally, I'm rambling because I'm in awe of you. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. And you don't... I don't even know what to say. I'm like starting to cry. Well, you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to say anything to that because I, I do. I mean, I, I think we're on a really, really sacred space here. Mm -hmm. So, um, thank you for sharing all that. Mm -hmm. Thank you for letting me. Yeah. I, I just, I go with how I feel, so... Mm -hmm. Things sometimes yeah. come out. <laughs> yeah. So let's do this if you're ready, because we could talk to you about that for forever mm -hmm. and probably off the mic with bottles of wine, we will. <laughs> um, but can you shift into how did your business start? Sure. Okay. Um, now, let me, when did Scott pass away? It was October of what year? 15th of 2017. 2017. So recent. So, yeah. Yep. We're two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And how long were you married? We were married seven. Okay. Um, and now everything, and then we dated four years okay. before we got married. Mm -hmm. so we were together mm -hmm. for a while. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm kind of interested to see. I'm turning thirty this year. Wow. And I'm interested to see how that affects you too, because at that point I will be older than because his his thirtieth birthday was on the 29th of October which mm. was right after mm -hmm. me. Oh, boy. Like Sullivan was, uh, we had our wedding anniversary. Sullivan was born. He died then his 30th birthday. That's when we had the funeral. Mm. And, or I called it a birthday party. Mm -hmm. That's what we were having. Birthday party. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> wow. I even forgot the question. I started like rambling. No, bit. I was just asking you <laughs> to kind of give us a timeline. And so, and then back to Jules's question. Oh. So, so tell us about where you are today in the business that in right. how that all was born. Okay. Um, well, I needed a new career. That's mm -hmm. really that's Cause kind that, of the cause practical was like, too tied to him. I mean, is that well? I couldn't. I can't go back. Oh, out you to can't sea, go back. Oh, right. You mm -hmm. know, with a newborn at home. Right. That, right. That ship ship sailed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, dealing with loss of my career too and what I thought our future looked like and my future looked like I sat still for a while and I was searching for something that I could do that would help me with some a mission of some type because at the time I didn't have any focus I was um, detached I Pretended that he was at sea for quite a while, honestly. So avoidance, you know, mm -hmm. all of those stages of grief, they don't come in the stages. They come all at the same time or like a spaghetti monster. But mm -hmm. um, I came to this idea in May of 2018. And that was after a number of different business ideas. And I really did not want to go down to the port and do like an operations job because that would have been the natural progression. It's just like go run operations at a container terminal or go do, you know, that kind of short side role because mm. I could not bring myself to put Sullivan in daycare. Mm. And I still feel that way. For me and for him, it doesn't work. Mm. Um, I am a solo parent now. And I don't want that for him, so I needed to find a career that would allow me to yeah. be with him. Mm -hmm. And so I sat on that idea in May and just kind of like worked through it. The skill set that I brought over from the Merchurines really was project management. Mm -hmm. I'm good at finding a good team. I'm good at planning things out. I'm good at doing the research and putting things, puzzle pieces together to make it all work. 
So I sat on that and we actually moved over to Europe for a couple of months. I needed you to... You and Sullivan? Me and Sullivan. You just packed up and said, we're, mm -hmm. we're heading to Europe? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Wow. Right after his first birthday, um, we got on a flight and went over there. <laughs> I got one of those backpacking, like the long-term backpacking backpacks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got us a time capsule wardrobe. Got the little... There is an amazing stroller that condenses down to carry-on size. And we left. <laughs> what are the time capsule wardrobe? Um, so it's like um, 10 different pieces that you can wear different ways uh -huh. that creates like 50 different outfits. I, it's awesome. You got it for him and you. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. And I got, his was more like play suits mm -hmm. and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so we we lived in Spain for a while in Barcelona. We did a little mommy and me yoga retreat in Ibiza. We lived in Nice for a while. That was the longest period of time because we went into Monaco for a bit and Saint-Tropez and like it was a good hub. Hmm. And then we ended living in Rome. We were a couple blocks <laughs> back from the Colosseum. That's amazing. It was a blast. So you just found in like little families to live with? We did Airbnb. Airbnb. Yeah. I just rented this little studio apartments and I cooked and I bed shared with Sullivan so it was easy. Mm -hmm. he, like one of his first words was go because we were always on the go and to this day now he does not like to stay home after nap time. He says go mama go. He brings me his shoes and points to the door. I'm like okay we'll find some place. <laughs> but so he's my little travel buddy and um, but I used that time. One it was wonderful for me because mm -hmm. I proved to myself that I could do this by myself. Mm. And I needed to get away from family and from the the sad looks and yeah. mm. from from the house, honestly, where he died in. Like yeah. I needed to get out of that mm. environment. And it was life changing. It was monumental for me. Like yeah. it I prove if I can travel around the world with a one-year-old, yeah. I can literally do anything. Like, <laughs> I would have thought that before, but like, yeah. it, it made me feel better. Yeah. And all the while, so he has been an amazing sleeper, I believe, because of my bed sharing co-sleeping that I do with him, because he like sleeps from seven to seven. Like he, I don't, I don't know. He's just a good sleeper. And so when he would go to bed at seven, then I would always rent places that had like patios or balconies, because then I would sit out there and I would write and work on my project manage management plan for this, my business plan, mm -hmm. and researching things, looking at different ideas, w learning about business, because that's not my background, mm -hmm. that's not my forte, Yeah, and I, I got a team together, like my CPA, and my financial advisor, my attorney, my commercial realtor, all that kind of stuff, and then I learned all about their field, so I knew what they were doing, like it was just a lot of learning and research and excitement. And a lot of praying, mm -hmm. a lot of praying, because from the moment that I had that idea in May, I said, God, if I still want this and I still feel good about this, December 31st, then let's do it. Hmm. But show me, yeah. show me what you want. Hmm. And January 1, got my commercial realtor. Of 2019. Of, of 2018. Oh, 2018. Mm -hmm. Okay. Wait. What year are we in now? 2020? 2019. Okay, 2019. Yeah, 2019. <laughs> so a year ago. Everything blends together. Right. Yes. So January 1 of 2019, mm -hmm. I took my first step. And everything fell like dominoes. I rolled out the plan the way it was supposed to go with all the contingency plans. And we opened our doors on July 15th. So what is it? What's Skip and Skip Sully? Skip and Sully is... A very unique concept. We okay. are a luxury Montessori style indoor playground for kids specifically five and under but designed for the parents. And what that means is yeah. that everything from the music, the smells, the aesthetics that you see around the interior design, even my foam flooring inside the playground looks like hardwood. It's designed for the parents. That age group does not need additional simulation from the primary colors and the loud noises and all things like that. What really needs to happen is they have an opportunity to focus on their development, hence the Montessori inspired, mm -hmm. and parents have a space to connect, a space to work, a space to meet other parents, hmm. a, 
a space for moms to meet other moms going through the same shit. Because that's the <laughs> biggest thing that we hear from moms is, I feel so alone. I don't have anybody mm-hmm. to have an adult conversation with. Exactly. Or you have the moms, and we were just talking, I think, um, <clears throat> um, what's your name? Um, uh, shoot, her name, uh, she has a champagne society. Oh, Gervais. Gervais. I mean, Gervais, uh, she'll tell you, you know, that all these moms are like, oh, it was so beautiful, and it was so much fun, and blah, blah, blah. And then reality is, no, I feel like shit. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, even some moms, like, I just want to shake them. Because they, they, because they're not connected and they feel bad about themselves. And so it's, it's really just coming to terms with, and I've, I have never been a mom, so I've never gone through it. I have lots of friends and sister-in-laws that have been moms who is like, they can finally be honest with themselves when, mm-hmm. when they're, they're vulnerable instead of everything is, you know, rainbows and puppy toes to say, hey, I, I need help mm-hmm. and I need to connect with other people. So mm-hmm. you're giving them that, that opportunity to connect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, giving that environment. And for me, the other element that I believe is neglected is the relationship between mom and dad after a baby is born. Mm. It changes drastically, as it should, because a new life has entered. But they need the opportunity to reconnect and establish what their new life looks like now. And I remember this vividly. I was at um, an opening on Daniel Island. And this couple I had never met before came up to me. And this was maybe two months ago, maybe three months ago. And they said, I just wanted to introduce, we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We were in Skip and Sunday the other day and the other Friday night. And we brought our six-week-old and our three-year-old. And that was the first time we've been able to have a date night in three years. So they left them there? They, they, the baby, the six-week-old, was sleeping on the chair. Mm-hmm. The three-year-old was playing in our contain. It's contained. They can't. They can't escape, as I say, mm-hmm. uh, without the parents letting them out of the area. And anywhere you sit in the lounge, you can see the entire playground. So every detail was designed to give parents a peace of mind in, in an effort to be mm-hmm. able to actually relax mm-hmm. instead of having to worry about them falling down, yeah. having to watch them like a hawk the entire time. This allows that enough separation hmm. to settle in. And they shared a glass of wine. And they were able to connect for a couple of hours. Hmm. And even though their kids were still there, they were able to have what they felt like was a real date night. And, and I just started crying. Mm-hmm. Because that right there mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why the space was created. Mm-hmm. It's not an indoor playground like anything anyone has ever seen before. This is a community space. This mm-hmm. is about relationships. This is about connection. This is about mom and child. This is about dad and child, caregiver and child. This is about the family unit. Hmm. Spending time together in a space that's for everybody. Wow. Not just for the child and not just going to a bar that, that's for the parents. Yeah. It's for the entire family. So do you have do you have a membership? How's it how's it work? Or do you have drop-ins that you know people are on vacation and they they wanna have that moment or whatever. Well, how does how does all that work sure. on the business end of that? So we're set up to be as flexible as all of our lives need to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I have drop-ins where you can just come and pay the admission for the day, and you just pay you just pay for the child. You do not pay for the adults, which is different from a lot of areas, mm-hmm. a lot of places, and it's good for the entire day. And I, as I say, come in for coffee in the morning, go home and have a nap because baby still needs a nap. And come back and have a happy hour with us when dad or mom gets off work. So you serve <laughs> wine and beer? I serve wine, beer, and a full coffee bar. <laughs> wow. Yes. So you have your liquor license? You, I mean, I you sell beer it? Wine. Beer and wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That is fan. We need to how, go. How did you come up with this idea? <laughs> I know. It was, was it just what you wanted? I mean, so, was it a need that you were wanting? Both. Kind of both. Yeah. Um, there are similar concepts around the country. And okay. Sullivan and I, so because his grandma, Scott's mom, lives up north, we go spend time with her frequently. And so while we're there, we would visit other places, other indoor playground mm-hmm. models, and kind of just went up and down the East Coast visiting things. And in every, in every setting, the thing that was missing was community. Hmm. It was an entertainment service. Mm-hmm. Parents hated it. They're sitting up against the wall on their phones. 
We're playing kids pop on the radio. It just wasn't there. There was nothing that brought everyone together. Got it. Hmm. And so I saw that need. And this also kind of segues into what my mission is with my story. And that's why the name is Skip and Sully. It's literally me and my son. And our logo is me holding him. It's after a picture mm -hmm. that we, we had taken of us. And it's to represent that relationship. The, the thing that is the most important in this entire world is the relationships that we have with our loved ones. Mm -hmm. That's it. It doesn't yeah. matter about houses and cars and, and all these materialistic things. It's yeah. that relationship and Skip and Sully is a mm. space that fosters that. Mm. And that's what makes us so different. Mm. How many do you have in Charleston? Just the one so far. You have one. And where is that located? In um, Bell Hall Shopping Center in Mount Pleasant. Wow, we're going to have to come and, and check it out. Yeah. We um, do a lot of fun events. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited. We're doing an Easter Bunny brunch. So we're doing like a little build your own pancake bar and an oh open bar for mom and dad. And Easter Bunny's coming in. We're doing some photos. I love all these special events, that, you know, and yeah. it's fun throughout the year and stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, we have 17 <laughs> nieces and nephews. Now some of them are too old to go. Yeah. Um, but we do have five under five right. um, that are all coming to visit this summer um, so this could be an opportunity yeah, for us to for sure. bring them and then we sit I don't know I mean however that works but we sit with their mom and dad and just have a conversation because mm -hmm. that's really hard when you have you have we have three little ones here or and then my brother has his two little ones they're need factories mm -hmm. you know and I don't mean that in a bad way they are I mean they're in and they're always they're always like, yeah, they're babies, and they're always like, mom, dad, mom, dad, mm -hmm. and you try to have an adult conversation, and, and you know, their needs come first, and we know that, I mean, because, or they'll call Aunt Stacy, Aunt Julie, and obviously, our attention's going to go straight to them, so mm -hmm. if we go, and, and we may have to check it out, that might be mm -hmm. something fun yeah. for us really to come fun. and do. Well, yeah. and we do let older siblings come in as long as they come with the younger ones. Mm. And what we found is they're they're typically used to playing safely among mm. the little ones, so it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. What's your What's your vision for it? <laughs> so I know you have one. <laughs> I have a huge vision for it, and I've seen it. That's why I just asked you how many <laughs> you have. Yeah. I've, uh, I've like, only been open seven months. I know. So. Well, I see a huge vision for <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So I don't see another location for uh, the Charleston market because okay. in order to focus on the relationships, it has to be boutique. It has to be small. Mm -hmm. We are not for thousands and thousands of people. We're for 50 people at a time. You know, mm -hmm. we're, um, And so I want to bring this concept to other markets mm -hmm. and other cities. Okay. And mm -hmm. that that is my big goal for this. And... One one portion of Skip and Sully, which we're about to launch, you'll see everything about it uh, for May. Um, I'm doing mommy mindsets, Skip and Sully mommy mindsets, which are half day mini retreats mm -hmm. that the two barriers to moms getting help that they need are childcare and cost. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I can eliminate the childcare problem with the Skip with Skip and Sully location and. I can make it more affordable. So I'm really, really excited about it because my long-term vision for our mommy mindsets is to turn it into three or four day actual retreats that mm. focus on three main areas. Mommy and me, reconnecting with baby. Because not every mom immediately connects with right. their baby. Mm -hmm. And everybody, and then they internalize that. So that's a yep. huge need. They feel guilty, they right? They feel guilty yeah. that mommy get Why am I not bonding yeah. with my child? And... Um, family retreat, mom, dad, and baby. How does that work now? Reframing what our relationship is supposed to look like now mm -hmm. with, with baby. And infertility retreats, mm. which is something that mm. is underserved and a huge need. And so that is the long-term vision for my mommy mindsets. However, right now we are looking at, we are doing one in May, at the end, uh, May 31st, and it's a mini version of this. So we'll start at one o'clock and we'll do, we're doing yoga, a yoga session. And it's very relaxed, very casual, no shoes in the ballroom. And we are going to get in that mindset to connect and feel comfortable. Hmm. There'll be no standard come as you are. And we're going to talk about real subjects, 
things that people don't want to discuss. Mm -hmm. Connecting re connecting moms to resources that they need. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about grief counseling. We're going to talk about PTSD and what that actually looks like. And we're going to talk about infertility problems. We're going to have a sex therapist, have a relationship therapist, all these different things that are really touchy subjects that everybody's afraid to talk about, but it touches everyone. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody just wants one person to give them the permission to say, I'm dealing with that too, mm -hmm. which is what you're offering them. Exactly. I love it. Sandra, I love it so much. I love your vision and I, gosh, I wish you all the best. Unfortunately, we need to wrap this up. Let's do this. Why don't you give Stace? We have, a, we have a list of questions, one to 70. So if you give a number, Stace will ask you the question, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Okay, so give Stace a number between one and 70. Well, I'm 29, so 29. Yeah, 29. <laughs> Perfect. What are your three pet peeves? Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Because mm -hmm. a lot of, like, things don't really bother me too much. So when somebody cuts you off, you don't mind that? I mean, really... Not in it. I'm like, hmm. Yeah. So maybe in general rudeness. <laughs> oh, yeah. you know what? I hate it when people don't respond to emails within a timely manner. Mm -hmm. I agree. Like, cheese. Or, or you respond to their email and it's something that has an action item in it and they don't get back to you. I'm, just, I'm going, did I respond to you? <laughs> I just feel like it's oh, disrespectful. I agree. Yeah. Like, of everyone's time, because we've had time to set things up already. We've put time into whatever the email was, whatever it was about. And then you can't even follow up. Yeah. Or and then, or you have to go, I'm circling back around. Circling back around. And, then, yes. and then they answer you, but they never, they never say, I'm sorry for the delay, mm -hmm. you know. With even a, I don't even have an excuse. I am mm -hmm. so sorry this slipped through the cracks. But being like mindful of someone else's action yes. items. Well, and oh, I yes. see, I see email as a conversation, mm -hmm. right? Now it's not one that like you need an immediate reply to, but within a certain amount of time, it is just respectful to go. All right, if you ask me a question or if we're scheduling a meeting or whatever, there's an action item required. Mm -hmm. Like, go ahead and respond. Yes. Yeah, yeah I got you. I'm with you on that for sure. It bothers me yeah. so much. And in fact, this morning I had one come up as I was negotiating a deal and that I found out, you know, that we didn't get the deal and it's fine. Um, but I found out through a third party instead of an email, like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. we decided to go a completely different direction. Hmm. I'm like, really? that's fine. Like, I don't <laughs> mind if I can't help you. Great. But at least tell me. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Oh my so, Because yeah, I have another, so I own another com a real estate company too, and I do um, property management, and oh. I, own, I own a couple of rentals, and so that's kind of like my yeah. That's your, that's your side hustle. That's my side hustle right, thing that I'm right. doing. But gosh, you know, get a lot of crazy stuff over there. <laughs> um, so if there was if there was one thing, I mean, you've obviously lived a ton of life in your 29 years. If there was one thing that you would say to people to encourage them, what would it be? Feel your emotions. Hmm. Why that? Because the only way to truly heal is to acknowledge that emotion that you're feeling mm. and to sit in it for a minute. Mm. And I think that there are so many broken people in, in today's world that won't acknowledge the pain that they have because they think for whatever reason a sign of weakness you know I don't want to acknowledge that I have it I am in denial whatever and it causes them way more pain than mm -hmm. it would feel just to just to acknowledge it and give it the time that it needs that's what I found in, in my whole process of this and it's still ongoing I'll be dealing with this yeah. you know for the rest of my life absolutely but I, as a whole, I have my moments, of course, I'm a human being, but as a whole, I consciously made a decision to not fight it. Mm -hmm. When I need to cry, I cry. When I need to get angry, I go boxing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I feel and experience my emotions. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I wrote that down. The only way to heal is to feel and that's so true. Mm -hmm. And I think so many of us are raised to not be able to feel emotions, mm -hmm. um, where we can't get angry, um, we can't we can't be sad, 
um, whatever, you know, boys can't cry. And I think that that's such an injustice to a child mm -hmm. to be raised in that where if your parents make you angry, tell not to be able to tell them why because of the repercussions you may you may get a spanking or whatever. I think that's such an injustice to our society, and I think that's why we have such bad had crime and everything else. And I could probably be a whole tangent, but if we allow people to feel um, because they've been hurt in some way, the healing's done, and then you can just kind of move on to the next chapter. But if you carry it on, you never can move on. And, and I've dealt with that in my life. I know Jules has dealt with that in her life. And that we weren't able to heal until later. And, you know, there's no telling where we could have been today. I, mean, I think we're pretty successful now. But um, if we could have broken through those barriers. Mm -hmm. There's no one that doesn't need to feel their emotions. Yeah. So that advice is really awesome. Because yeah. while some people may not have lost their husband at a young age, like your traumatic story, right? Um, there are things mm -hmm. in childhood or even in present day that you're right, we're, we're quote unquote not allowed to feel. And, um, but I love that. The only way to heal is to feel. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the reality of all this is like I experienced something crazy traumatic in terms of perspective right. of what people think. But the reality is, is that pain is relative. Mm -hmm. So you can't take one person's pain and rank it against mm -hmm. another person's because it's so personal. Yeah. What I feel with my pain, some people feel for the loss of their pet. Mm -hmm. They feel that same level Absolutely. because it's it's to them. It's so personal. And that's what I see a lot in, in everything that I interact with. It's like, oh, you've been through so much. But so is the next person. Mm -hmm. Everybody yep. has something. Hmm. Yep. Yep. Man, you're <laughs> you're amazing. Mm. You're such a delight. Thank you. Man, for, I feel thankful. Oh, I do too. I feel now you're in I our life. You're stuck with this. Inspired <laughs> and like uh, I've been invited into something really precious. So mm -hmm. thank you for that, listeners. We hope that this has been an episode that has inspired you. Obviously, you hit play on it for a reason. So you were probably supposed to listen to this episode. So do something with it. Feel those emotions. Honor Sandra. Uh, in that one piece of advice that she gave you. If you didn't hear anything else and don't remember anything else from what she said, feel your emotions. Let them come to the surface. Get around safe people and feel those emotions. All right, with that, we're going to sign off and we will be back in your ears next week with another amazing episode. So please come on back. But in the meantime, have an incredible week.